Hello, and welcome to Tiny Insect, episode 1.7, The Vision. In 1837, Hong Shiquan took the provincial exam in Guangzhou for the third time. He was 23 years old. After sailing through the county and prefecture level exams, he felt like he'd hit a wall. The final results came in, and he failed again, third time. He was so weak from the three-day exam that he had to be carried home from the examination hall. Once home, he collapsed into bed. His family found him delirious and mad. Sometimes he failed to recognize them. Other times, they had to physically restrain him and prevent him from hurting himself and others in fits of rage. They feared for his life. His cousin, Hong Rangon, later recalled that Hong Shiquan had told his family that his life was slipping away and that he was about to die. And then, one day, he summoned them all to his side to say goodbye. After that, his family watched him lose consciousness, his head falling onto the pillow. Hong lay surrounded by his family when the angels came for him. His mother and father, sister-in-law, and his pregnant wife all stood at his bedside. There was also a giant rooster several feet tall and small children wearing golden gowns. The angels beckoned Hong to come with them. Before leaving, he implored his wife to never remarry if he didn't return, and to rely on his eldest brother for financial support, as was right and proper. Hong reclined in a sedan chair as the angels carried him away. When they arrived at Heaven's Gates, Hong was greeted by, quote, beautiful maidens beyond number, but he, quote, cast no sidelong glances at them. Once in heaven, the angels took Hong to the imperial compound. They cut his body open with sharp knives and removed his stomach and other organs and replaced them with new ones. After the operation, Hong met with his heavenly mother, who told him the surgery was to help cleanse him. Now she would wash him in the river to complete the process. Only after she would wash him, only then, after he was cleansed of the earthly contamination, would he be ready to meet her husband, Hong's heavenly father. So Hong's heavenly mother washed him in the river. Then when he was clean, Hong went to meet his heavenly father. His father was clothed in a black dragon robe, wore a high-brimmed hat, and sported a golden beard that flowed down to his stomach. The Heavenly Father's golden beard immediately marked his Heavenly Father out as not being from China, as his blonde hair is not found there. But this didn't bother Hong. His Heavenly Father was tall, dignified, and heroic in stature. Hong approached and knelt before him. Hong's Heavenly Father then explained to him the truth of the world. He was Shangdi, the Heavenly Father, and he had created earth and mankind. He provided them all with food to eat and clothing to wear. Everything had come from him, but the people had forgotten. They'd forgotten what he provided. Instead, they were deceived by demons, and the people, quote, wasted those things which I have bestowed upon them as offerings to these evil demons, as if the demons had given birth to them and nourished them, end quote. Instead of helping them, he told Hong that the demons and evil spirits, quote, harm and kill them and blind and capture them, nor do they know that I so deeply hate it and pity them. Together, 
Shangdi and Hong looked down on earth, and the Heavenly Father pointed out the particular demons who ravaged his people. He hated what his world had become, and pitied his people, and how the demons persecuted and oppressed them. To this, Hong asked him the most obvious question, a question that has bedeviled monotheists of all stripes for millennia. Quote, Father, if they are as evil as this, why don't you exterminate them? End quote. If you are so great and powerful, why do you permit evil to exist in the world? It's a fundamental question in all monotheist theology, and it's not easy to answer. Instead of diving into a deep and philosophical answer, the Heavenly Father told Hong that he could destroy the demons anytime he wanted, and he would destroy them all in the end. He could, anytime. Just you wait. But for now, Shangdi was content to only strike down the demons who were, quote, really intolerable. Hong's Heavenly Father then changed the subject and pointed out one demon who had been particularly naughty, the demon named Yenlo, the Buddhist god of the underworld. Yenlo, he explained, had recently taken up residence in one of the lower levels of heaven. So, Shangdi ordered Hong to drive him out. So Hong went to Yenlo and yelled at him and threatened him until Yenlo finally agreed to depart. But Yenlo had developed a loyal following, and many of heaven's residents began to follow him out and abandoned the Heavenly Father. This wasn't exactly what the Heavenly Family had had in mind. Hong's older brother, the Heavenly Elder Brother, rode out with a legion of loyal angels and chased down all of the ungrateful traitors who followed Yenlo. They rode off, and after a while, they came back to the Heavenly Father and Hong Shiquan. Behind them, they dragged a captive follower of Yenlo, Confucius the man that Hong had spent his entire life reading, the man whose statue he taught in front of in his school, who he was venerated at all levels of Qing society. Confucius had chosen to follow the demon Yenlo and betray Shangdi, the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father was so upset that he issued a proclamation blaming the whole rebellion on Confucius himself, not Yenlo. It was his books, Shangdi declared, that were responsible for inciting the demons and turning the people against heaven. The heavenly elder brother castigated Confucius for writing books that had caused harm to so many, including his own little brother, Hong Shiquan. All the angels laughed and jeered at Confucius. But Confucius was wily, perhaps knew some magic, I'm not really sure how he pulls this off, and during all of this managed to slip out and tried to escape heaven again. This time, Heavenly Father dispatched Hong himself to pursue Confucius and bring him back. Hong did so and dragged Confucius, hogtied, back to be whipped and beaten by the Heavenly Father's angels. Confucius cried and begged for forgiveness, but there would be no forgiveness and the lashes rained down on his naked back. After Confucius received his punishment, the Heavenly Father granted Hong Shiquan a magical sword and golden seal and ordered him to go out and do battle with the demons. Hong handed the seal off to his elder brother, who held it up high behind him as a ward of protection 
while Hong descended the levels of heaven, swinging his sword and driving out the demons. Boss Yenlo transformed into numerous shapes and tried to stay ahead of him, but couldn't evade Hong's vicious strikes. When Hong grew tired of fighting, the angels protected him while he napped. Slaying demons is hard work, after all. Hong's heavenly mother and younger heavenly sisters followed behind and provided everyone with refreshments. After the battle was over and the demons were slain or driven away, the heavenly father pulled his second son aside and told him he had to change his name. Remember, Hong Shi Quan had been born Hong Huo Shi, and I've been calling him Hong Shi Quan to avoid confusion. The problem, you see, was that the character used for Huo in Hong's given name was the same as was used in the transliteration for one of Shangdi's names used in this foreign book, Jehovah. Thus, it was taboo. So, God told Hong that he was now to be known as Hong Shiquan. Shangdi also bestowed Hong with the title of Heavenly King, Monarch of the Great Principle, or the Tian Wang, the Heavenly King. After this, Hong settled down and began to relax. Fighting is hard, after all. He hung out with his heavenly wife, the first chief moon, for his earthly wife, Lai, had been demoted to second chief moon, were told that the first chief moon served him well and bore him a heavenly son, something Lai had yet to do. Hong studied the Psalms, listened to music, and had a grand old time. He was in no rush to go back to earth. Hong liked heaven quite a bit. But God the Father wasn't very happy about this. He had greater plans for his secondborn. You've got to go back, son. How will the people of the world reach enlightenment and ascend to heaven if you're not there to save them from the demons and teach them the ways of heaven? To which Hong replied, and I'm paraphrasing here, Sure, Dad. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. But, but I've got this dinner party with Elder Brother tomorrow, and I can't miss it. But after that, sure, I'll go back. But then he, he just didn't go even after the dinner party. One time, he started down to Earth, and then got cold feet, turned around and came right back. Earth sucked. But Shangdi yelled at him some more and ordered him to return to heaven and save his people. Eventually, Hong relented. Upon returning to Earth, Hong awoke and immediately told his earthly father and brothers that he was the true ordained son of heaven and was sent to exterminate the depraved and preserve the upright. He told his sister that he was the son of heaven. They had all become demons and must right themselves or face his wrath. Hong's family thought he'd gone crazy, so they locked him up and basically kept him under house arrest. His family would come home from a day hard work in the fields to find him running around the room, shouting, kill the demons, while slashing a non-existent sword through the air. Neighbors came to gawk. Once, when his father came to visit him and tell him to snap out of it, Hong declared, I'm not your son. Can you scold me? It's probably for the best that Hong's family treated him like a crazy person. By declaring himself to be the son of heaven, Hong was committing treason or close to it. Under the imperial system that began with the Qin dynasty more than 2,000 years before Hong was ever born, the emperor alone was considered the son of heaven, 
the emperor held that title as God's chosen representative on earth. It was a key part of imperial ideology, and by disowning his own father, Hong was committing another grievous sin against the Confucian conception of order and right behavior. In China at the time, if a family member was mentally ill or having a breakdown, his or her family members would be held liable for any acts committed by that person. So, Hong's treasonous talk and violent behavior were a threat to the entire family. According to the authoritative version of this story published by the Taiping, which I've been relying on for this whole episode, the more the people thought Hong had gone mad, the better. It says that, quote, This was precisely the ingenious device of high heaven, precisely heaven's means of protecting Hong Shiquan, end quote. During his house arrest, Hong wrote poems, a few of which still survive. Here's an example called Ode on the Sword. Holding the three-foot sword in hand, I consolidate the mountains and rivers. Within the four seas, all are one family, all in harmonious union. I capture all the demons and return them to the web of the earth. Collecting the remaining evil ones, I drop them into the net of heaven. The east West, South, and North venerate the Sovereign Supreme. Sun, moon, stars, and constellations join in the song of triumph. The tigers roar and the dragons sing. The world is full of light. With great peace and unity, what happiness there will be. It took a while, but Hong slowly, slowly calmed down and eventually went back to teaching. He resumed studying for the imperial exams, though they would be paused for a coming conflict. Hong Rangan would later remark to Theodore Hamburg that Hong Shiquan became more careful in his conduct, friendly and open in his demeanor. He carried himself differently, and his face became firm and imposing. At the same time, Hong didn't know exactly what he was destined to do. It's clear that he has ambitions, and that he thought it was his destiny to slay some demons. But who exactly were these demons, and how would Hong defeat them? He wrote a poem about his three-foot sword, but he didn't actually own a sword. It would be another six years until Hong found the answers he was looking for. Those six years would be quite tumultuous. Guangzhou would be invaded by powerful foreigners, fighting with the blessings of a different god. Thousands of Guangdong citizens would rise up to fight against these invaders. But in the end, the Qing would lose the war, surrender, and the invaders would occupy Tyre Island in the Pearl River estuary. Their boats will drive thousands of bandits and pirates inland to ravage and destabilize the countryside. The price of silver, already rising, will balloon out of control, and the peasants will suffer. Only then will Hong finally discover the true meaning of his journey to heaven. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews will help other listeners find the show. If you've got any feedback for the show, questions, or comments, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TinyInsectPod. Thanks.